promise that God's given us and its fulfillment and the walking through that is an important time. And then we, we talked about what if you could not lose? We talked about the Israelites coming across the Jordan and we talked about um, getting into covenant and taking that ne next step, step bravely and unafraid and walking into your destiny. And we talked about last week, what if you were great? What if you were great? What if you really were the person you desired to be? And we realized that Jesus has actually made a way for you to be that. His, his identity, what he calls you, who he knows you is, is in fact greater than who you know yourself to be. And part of us growing as, as Christians is becoming who God calls us. And we spoke about that last week, and we, we made the uh, declaration statement over ourselves that we are the people God says we are, and we will live the life that he has called us to. And today we are going to be talking about what if you let go? What if you let go? What if all of those burdens and those difficulties that you're carrying, the, um, the things that are weighing you down, what if you just said, I'm letting it all go? What would happen? Lord, I just pray. Lord, I just pray that you would come. And you would fill us, Lord God. I just pray that as we listen to the sermon, it would be more than just hearing my words, that every person would hear you speak into the deepest parts of their heart, Lord God. I pray, Father God, that you would deliver us from every bit of baggage or thing that keeps us out of your presence, Lord God. Help us to, to walk freely and wholly in your presence, Lord God. And all of God's people said amen and amen. So there, there's a story that goes that this man is walking along, and maybe he's had a little bit too much drink, maybe he hasn't, but he was walking along in the dark, and he falls off the edge of a cliff. And as he's falling down this cl cliff, he is terrified, and he's groping for, er for anything, and suddenly his hand touches the root of a tree, and he grabs onto it. And he's hanging on for dear life, and he's hanging on for dear life, and it's cold, and it's miserable, and it's, it's only like 2 o'clock in the morning, so he feels like he's got to wait until the morning, until anyone will, will even know he's there, and he's calling out vainly, help, help, would somebody help me? And he hears this faint voice coming from the top of the cliff, let go, let go. And he's like, oh my gosh, that's got to be the devil. That's got to be the devil. It's the drink speaking. And he hangs on and he hangs on and he hangs on. And he's got, he's got cramps in his hands. And he's just, oh, imagine having to hang on a onto a root with a slight hangover. It's just, it was excruciating. I, I don't know what that feels like, but just, <laughs> in, uh, just imagine. So you're hanging on, he's hanging on to this root, and then there's this faint light of dawn coming up, and slowly everything goes gray, and then the colors start coming, and he looks around, and it's, it's the day, and that voice has been continuously shouting, let go, let go, and as he's hanging on, he looks down and notices he's only 10 centimeters above the floor of the valley. <laughs> and for the whole night, he's been hanging on, terrified, and all he had to do was, let go. And he would be standing on the floor and there's the town in front of him and he would have been safe and he could have saved himself all that whole long night of agony. <laughs> so I'm going to say, if Lord, if there's anything that we are hanging on to, that we are trying desperately to save us from a fall that doesn't exist, yeah. 
Lord God, I just pray that if we are trying to keep ourselves from things that, that are just imaginary fears and just things that the enemy has tried to put on us to keep us out of our destiny, Lord God, I pray you'd give us the courage to just let go and to stand firmly on the, the floor that is right beneath us, on the, on the foundation of Jesus and walk into our destiny. Amen. Amen. So we are, we have been tracking with Joshua. Do you remember that? Over these last uh, three weeks, we have been talking about Joshua, how he brought the, uh, or he took over from Moses as they had come out of the land of Egypt, crossed the wilderness, and now they, they came to their promised land. He had performed that incredible miracle of parting the Jordan. They had walked across the Jordan into the promised land. Remember, and the promised land, as he was facing his own personal internal challenges, he met Jesus. And Jesus and him had this encounter and how Joshua was changed by that encounter. And he came to realize who he really was in God and managed to um, lead the nation of Israel to their first victory, which was the city of Jericho. And you'll remember the city of Jericho, they walked around the walls in silence. And then on the last day, they all shouted out on the instruction of God, God, Jesus had given Joshua these instructions about how to take Jericho. And on their last time when they shouted, I surmise to you that perhaps the all the time they were walking, the angels that Jesus was commanding were standing next to those walls, those rocks of that wall of Jericho, and they were just waiting. And Jesus was going, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And then as the shout came, those angels grabbed those rocks and they just flung them into the desert. And the walls of Jericho came tumbling down and they had a great, great victory. So God had also instructed them that when they took Jericho, they were not to take anything from Jericho. That Jericho was to be his city. It was to be consecrated to him. That they were not to get any benefit out of this victory. As they went and took the city, there was one man and his name was Achan. He was aching afterwards, I'm telling you this. But Achan went into the city and he found this beautiful Babylonian robe, it says, and um, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold. I don't know what a wedge of gold, but it sounds intriguing. It sounds like cheese made out of gold. But a wedge of gold, he found this wedge of gold, and he couldn't resist it, and he took it to himself, and he went and hid it and buried it in his tent. And so all of Israel rejoicing over this victory at Jericho, they look forward to the next city. And the instructions to take Jericho had come very directly from Jesus. Very unusual strategies. Not, not often that you see an army win a war that way. Sure. But now they look at the city of Ai, and it's not such a big city, and it looks a lot easier than Jericho. And Joshua says, let's send a few spies and work out how to take the city. So he sends a few spies, and they come back and say, this is, this is just easy. Don't even send all the men. Like two or three thousand will be enough. There, there are hardly any fighting men in that town. We'll just take it like that. So now instead of relying on Jesus, they're relying on their past victories, on their own strength. And they send off three thousand men. And these three thousand men attack the city of Ai. And I think you can guess what happened. Ai rises up and soundly defeats them, killing 36 of them. They... 
straggle back to camp and Joshua is absolutely mortified. And we're going to pick up the story right there. It says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord. Now he's seeking the Lord. Remaining there till evening, the elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. In other words, Lord, you brought us here. We shouldn't have listened to you. This is all your fault. Oh Lord, what can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe us, our name out from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? He's really having a good moan at the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and they run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Oh my word, that's like one of those trembling at the Bible verses. We are going to end on a more happy note, don't worry. Just stick with me. Just stick with, stick with me. But you know, that phrase right at the end, devoted to destruction, just caught my attention. And I wonder how many things that are devoted to destruction are actually in our lives. And it got me thinking and just really taking account of these things. And I, I feel like there are some things that can be in our life that they almost call destruction to you. And the more you hang on to them, the more destruction is called to you, which is Achan's thing. He, he went and got these things that were actually calling destruction on Israel. You have lied, you have stolen, you had made them your own possession. In other words, you've compromised your integrity, you've compromised your value, and you've taken things that aren't yours. Now, I know we're talking about all the other people out there, but I just did think it was interesting to, to think and say, God, what, what could there be in my life that would bring destruction that would that wouldn't be a magnet for your blessing it would be a magnet for pain and heartache and I thought if there is anything like in that, that like that in my life I want it out I don't know about how, how you feel but but let's let's not just like hide it and pretend it's not there let's let's just call it what it is and say okay that's out there's this interesting story that I've heard a lot of times and it's it's definitely an African story. I don't really know where it originates, but it's the story of how to catch a monkey. Maybe you've heard it. But, yeah, because I know you all really want to know how to catch a monkey. 
for all our Durbanite friends, here we go. <laughs> so what you do is you take a calabash. Do you know what a calabash is? It's a dried out husk of a, a melony thing. And then you cut a little hole in this calabash just the side of an size of an extended monkey hand. And then inside this calabash, you put all kind of delectable monkey delights. And the monkey comes along and sees this calabash and looks inside and sees everything it's always wanted. And so it sticks its hand into that little hole, grabs a fistful, and then, because now its hand's a fist and not an elongated monkey hand, it can't get its hand out the calabash. Now, you would think, that's really simple, monkey. Just let go. Just let go and pull your hand out and go and find some other delectable monkey delight somewhere else. But no, apparently, apparently I've never tried it, but apparently monkeys don't think like that. Apparently monkeys put their hand into this, grab it, and think, I cannot let go of these delights. And so... This monkey now is running about around with a calabash on the end of its arm. And you know, it goes to greet its monkey wife and bash the poor calabash on the head. You know, it goes, it goes to work and it has to fill out a report at work and it's bringing all its stuff with it and bash, conf, you know, it's bashing everyone with this calabash, heads, hugs, trying to write, you know, just uh, things don't work. And apparently it's really easy to catch a monkey that way. But I wonder how many times the enemy makes little calabashes for us and puts delectable delights in there and tells us, you can't live without it. You just, you, without this, you're not really a man. Without this, you're not really a woman. You know, you can't, you can't really be satisfied if you don't have this little thing. And we put our hands into that little calabash hole and we grab it and can't get our hand out and we are stuck and we glue to this thing and we go about our day and we bashing people over the head with our issues and we knocking people out with our, our stuff. We incapable of doing our work properly because we, our pen hand is covered by a calabash. So let's look. Are you all feeling good? Are you all still feeling loved? I'm preaching just to myself. Don't you worry. I have my calabashes. I have my calabashes. But what are those things that he puts inside those calabashes? Some destruction devotions. And if we want to talk about those a little bit, how about aspirations? You know what, I, all, I want you to all have very high aspirations. Guys, I, I am convinced that none of us are reaching high enough. But some aspirations are worth having and some aspirations are not. And sometimes you can spend a lot of energy running after something that when you get there, you find it is not what you expected. Yeah. Marilyn Monroe, who not, is not often quoted in church, but nonetheless, Marilyn Monroe said this. She said, the dream of being an actress was far more exciting than actually being one. 
What did she discover? And you, you know her, the tragedy of her life. But what she discovered is when she actually got to that thing that she aspired to, that she thought was going to satisfy her, was going to make her famous, was going to make everyone love her, she discovered it wasn't anything that she imagined. Patrick Swayze, who also not often quoted in church, made an interesting statement. He said, if you want to ruin someone's life, give them exactly what they wanted. So sometimes our aspirations are those things that we that are calling destruction to us and we're hanging on to them for dear life. How about mindsets? I know none of you have what I'm about to describe, but think of all those other people. How about the judgments we make? And we hang on to them. How about all men are Fantastic. <laughs> How about all women are? Awesome. <laughs> How about all, you name it, you put your own thing in there. You just finish the sentence. You know, those judgments we hang on to. How about those, those internal vows we make? I'll never trust anyone again. How about, oh, I amount to nothing. I'm never going to amount to anything. How about I'm not good enough? How about those internal vows of you can't trust this, you can't trust that, I'll, I'll never try again. How about some memories? You know, we all have good memories and bad memories. But sometimes the way things were, all those those good things, you know, like the, the good old days. You know, you understand that the good old days don't actually exist. You understand that. The world is continuously getting better, and Jesus' glory is going from one level to another. And in other words, if you stick with Jesus, it's always better now than it used to be. That's right. <laughs> but imagine... Imagine, you know, just hanging on to those good, the way it was, and those good old days, and nothing now will ever be as good, and oh, this is terrible. And so you forget to make use of the good and the great that God has right here. How, how about the bad memories? How about hanging on to the pain and the bitterness and the heartache of the past and unwilling to let it go? We often don't let it go because we feel like if we let it go, we become vulnerable for it happening to happen again, and it's like it's like our protection from from those terrible things coming upon us. How about some relationships? You know, relationships are generally really good, but you do get some relationships that are not so good. I was recently talking to someone, and they were recounting the story of a boyfriend that they had while they were at university. And they were not living a great relationship with this boyfriend. It wasn't very godly. But they said, in this relationship, they noticed that the words were just getting more acrimonious, like bitter, that, the, that things were just getting a little bit harsher, that things were getting a little bit more controlling. And day by day, the relationship was deteriorating into something that was just difficult and hard and controlling and just destructive to both of them. 
And she says she was noticing this, but with her hand in the calabash, she was listening to the lies. If you don't have this man, who will you have? And so she hung on and she hung on and that calabash bashed her in the head, bashed him in the head, destroyed their lives, messed up with her self-esteem, wrecked so much around it. And finally when she came to the time and she finally let go, God was there to give her something so great and she's now married to a really fantastic man, even if I say so myself, not quite as great as Andrew, but pretty close. <laughs> Quite close, quite close. But you know, sometimes we're hanging on to relationships because we think we can't do any better. Or we think without this person we can't live. Or without this person we're not worth anything. Or what will people think? And we hang on to something that is slowly, slowly killing us. How about some habits? <laughs> How about some work habits? Are your working habits growing your family or destroying your family? How about some leisure habits? Are those leisure habits building you up or stealing from you? How about some hidden habits that no one knows about? and your hands in the calabash, and you just can't let go because it's hard to imagine living without these. And the devil is lying to you and telling you that without them, you're not a whole person. Without them, you can't manage. Without them, you won't be significant. Without them, you're in danger. Without them, you're not safe. And we hang on for dear life, and the calabash is doing its destructive job all over the place. Jesus said an amazing thing. Well he, did, well, he did say it, but he told Paul, and Paul wrote it down. So it came via the grapevine. But it's a really good grapevine. It's called the Bible. It is for freedom, Paul says, that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In other words, I set you free to set you free. Do you understand? God doesn't have an agenda. He's not saying, I'm setting you free so you can make me look good. Come on. You do make him look good when you're free. But he's setting you free because he just likes you free. He loves to see the joy on your face when you're living whole and free and alive. He loves to see the pleasure that comes in your life from being fr the free person that he made you to be. It goes on and it says, mark my words. Paul's getting serious now. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. This is certainly not a, a sermon on circumcision, so you can relax. We're not going there. Do whatever you need to do, or don't do whatever you need to do. That's, that's your business. But what, what Paul is talking about, he's talking to a Jewish group who feel like their hands in the calabash, they cannot let go of their old culture. They cannot let go of their old way of doing things. They cannot let go of the memories, the aspirations that came with it. And they're saying, 
we are going to hang on to this for dear life, no matter how much damage it does. Because you, they're hanging on to a law that cannot save them. And he's saying, even your culture must go if it's standing between you and the freedom I want to give you. So how do we move forward? Are you desperate? Are you desperate? It's like, come on, come on. There's got to be a solution to this. <laughs> There's just so got to be a solution. Well, there is, praise the Lord. As was said in worship, uh, we're in a kingdom where there's always a solution. So now, John the Baptist said this about Jesus, and you might, might think this is a little bit obscure, but hang with me for a moment. He said this, talking about Jesus, he said, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It also sounds a bit of a trembly verse. But if you've ever winnowed wheat, which I know none of you have, <laughs> I'm I, feel, I feel like I'm standing on solid ground here. It's unlikely that anyone in Joburg has winnowed wheat. But what what it literally is, is you, you, the wheat, when it is picked or when it's harvested, has a hard outer husk on it called the chaff. And it's inedible and makes the wheat completely unusable. So in order to get the use out of the wheat, they have to put a huge fork called a winnowing fork underneath the piles of wheat, throw it up into the air, and what happens is that in the wind, the wind blows away that outer chaff or husk, and then just the, the wheat grain falls to the ground. And so then I got to thinking about that chaff or that outer husk, and I thought, it sounds awfully like a calabash. You know, a hard outer exterior that is preventing you from reaching your destiny. That thing that Jesus is desperately trying to get rid of in your life, so that you can live the kind of freedom that he's bought for you on the cross. Yeah. And then I pictured myself, you know, this little wheat grain with this calabash over me, and Jesus coming with his um, winnowing fork and throwing me up in the air, and all he wants is me to just let go. But I'm hanging on for dear life to my calabash, to my chaff. It's a nice word, chaff. And I land, and I'm still covered in my outer husk. So what does Jesus do? He has to throw me up again. And he has to throw me up again. And he has to keep throwing me up. Have you ever lived life where it's just one up and down, up, down? You think you're moving forward and bang, you down again. And it's this just never-ending cycle of hitting the same things over and over. And Jesus is throwing you up and down and up and down. And there you are hanging on like crazy to your little, your little chaff, your little calabash. And all he wants is saying is, let go, let go, let go, and this will be over. And you're going up and down, facing the same things over and over again, around the same mountain, same problems over and over, same difficulties over and over, and his voice is shouting, let go. Am I talking to the right crowd? You've experienced this. So let's do some chaff chopping. Should we do some chaff chopping? <laughs> let's get rid of that chaff. First of all, and I'm really proud of this, guys, the, the things all spell chaff. 
I just want, I want you to notice that. Please notice that. That was a, quite a lot of work to get them all to say chaff. So I want you, I want you to notice that, chaff. I was, going to, I was going to use calabash, but it's just too long. I couldn't think of that many words. So first of all, C is for consequences. Jeremiah 31 says this. It says that no more, talking about our generation, it says, no more will it be said, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are on edge. So Jeremiah was saying there will come a time in history where consequences of actions will stay with the person who's done the action and won't be transferred to others. Part of the, part of the, part of the kingdom is that Jesus trains us through the consequences of our actions. But there are times when we are in relationships where we are taking the other person's consequences and therefore they are not able to learn. There are also times in relationships when we, when someone else is taking our consequences for our negative action and therefore we are never learning. Think about this for a moment. I was going to say a wife married to an alcoholic husband, but it always seems like the man's on the bad end of the stick. So I'm going to say a man married to an alcoholic wife. <laughs> and, the, and the man says to his wife, you need to go to the AA. That's completely not true. Because he is picking up after her. He is phoning her work and saying she won't be in today because she has flu. He is picking her up from bars late at night. He is taking care of the children when she's not home. He is taking her consequences. So she has no need to change. But if he turns around and says, I am moving out. I will be back when you're in treatment with the AA. <laughs> what is she doing? What is he doing at th that moment? He's putting consequences where they need to be. Not because he's cruel, harsh, unkind, but because that person needs to learn. It's the most loving thing he could do. And when she feels the consequences of her actions, she will say, I need AA. You get what I'm saying? Put the consequences where they need to be. Stop letting other people take your consequences and stop taking consequences for other people. How about honesty? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Gosh, this is, a, this is a hectic sermon. Are you guys all okay? Are you okay? Just, you just write it down for those other people. It's fine. It's fine. But honesty. Guys, let's... 1 John talks about how we, God is light and in him there is do no darkness. And if we live in the darkness, we're not living in him. What is it saying? But the hidden things, things that you have to keep hidden, are probably not blessed by God. Bring those things out into the open. Let's be honest. Let's own our stuff. You know, guys, this is the great thing about the kingdom. There is no judgment. Hear me. What you are going through, the thing you're ashamed about, the thing that you can't stand about yourself, guess what? There is no judgment, so you don't have to hide it anymore. Bring it out. We'll help you. We'll stand with you. There are people around. We have counselors. We have Victory Weekend. We have systems. We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. There is freedom for you. There is freedom for you. 
ask yourself this, what am I getting out of this behavior? What is it doing for me? Because sin in its essence is this, legitimate needs met in illegitimate ways. If you can find out why you're doing that, you can find out how to get that need met in a way that's healthy, whole, and life-giving. How about Antichrist? Gosh, I didn't realize how hectic the sermon was. Is you, are you all okay? Antichrist, I actually, I actually wanted to say false messiahs, but then there were too many Fs, so I had to change it. It's Antichrist. So how many times are we using, Antichrist really means a false Jesus. And it's not that terrible thing with the beast and the horns and that. We're not talking about that Antichrist, but we, we're talking about things in our life that we use in place of Jesus to try to save us. Our own methods of trying to fix stuff. It's Joshua going at the city of Ai without consulting God. How about faith? Can we believe, can we believe that if we let go, God has something better for us? Like that woman with that boyfriend at university, when she finally let go, God could give her the real prize. How about moving forward? I love that statement. Changing ensures that your future won't be more of your past. Letting go means I'm ensuring that my future is going to be better than my past. Move forward. Take the next step. Do what you need to do. And as we come in for a close, broken quartz makes the finest glass. What I mean by that is that when... Joshua went back to God after their defeated eye, lay on his face and cried out to God, please, Lord, we're so humiliated. You're humiliated. Everyone's humiliated. What do we do about this? And God gave him a plan. What I love about the plan that God gave him is that the plan God gave him used his past failure to catapult him to success. They had to, what he said to them is, go back to the city of Ai and pretend to attack it just the way you did before, but also have an ambush behind the city. So when they come out of the city and you pretend to run away from them and they follow you, then the people from behind will come into the city and take it. The success of their plan depended on their past failure. It could only work because they fell. Now, could God have done it without their past failure? Of course he could. Of course he could. But this is the glory of who God is. He wastes nothing. There is nothing about your past that he won't put together, work together, and make into your future success. You can be assured of this, that no matter what you have been through, he will take it and he will make it good. He, he will make it so that it was better that you had actually been through that. That's how good he is. The best glass is made from quartz crystals that are crushed to a fine powder. And out of that becomes, comes the most beautiful crystal glass. God will take your failures, your crushings, your brokenness, and he will put it together and he will make it into something fantastic. If we do those chaff choppings, he will do his part and make it glorious. He will make it glorious.
There is no need for shame. There is no need for hiding because God is not ashamed of your past. And he is making it into something beautiful. Amen. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That word for workmanship is the Greek word poema and it literally means a poetic utterance of great beauty. That's who you are. You are God's poetic utterance of great beauty. And he is working everything in your life to bring about increasing glory and blessing. And his voice is calling out over you right now. Just let go. (laughs) Amen. Because Christ is with you, you can let go of the things that are pulling destruction to you. In so doing, you are living free from shame and moving forward into a victorious future. So Lord, I just come in to you and I pray and I ask that you would, you would bless us with courage to let go of those things that are pulling destruction to us, Lord God. Father God, we want to be free. We want to live life-giving, blessed lives, Lord God, that are able to minister to others, Lord God. And it's that easy. We just have to let go, turn our backs, walk the other way, bind ourselves to your covenant, step into that river. It will part. It will part. It will part. Come out into the open. Tell someone. Ask for help. It's here for you. I know you're all praying right now, and that was a good thing to do, but I'm going to ask you to open your eyes for a minute. Sam, I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind standing up. And is Stefan Grab here? He's been in the next service. Okay. So um, if you are feeling like you need you, bring, you want to bring this out into the light and you want, to, you want to walk a new way, I'm going to invite you to just go and speak, speak to Pastor Sam. There's too many P's in that statement. Go and speak to Pastor Sam. And um, if you're a guy, she's going to put you, she's going to give your name to our senior male counselor who's Stefan Grab. She's our senior female counselor. She will get you hooked up with someone who can help you walk through this well and can help you come into the victory that God has for you. Amen. Great. Thank you, Sam. You can all close your eyes again. Lord, (laughs) we just ask for great grace upon us to walk in the freedom that you have called us to, Lord. Lord God, we want to celebrate, Lord God, that really shame has no place in your kingdom, that you have washed us clean, that you are not embarrassed or ashamed or turning the other way from any part of our lives. Every part of your lives you are engaged in to bring victory and improvement. And Lord God, I just want to ask that over every life here, you would remove every bit of shame. Father God, you would give courage where courage is needed. You would give healing where healing is needed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. While every head is bowed, I want to just make an opportunity that as you've been hearing this message, you realize that shame has been keeping you away from Jesus. And that perhaps you have been living two kinds of lives. So your 
upfront Christian life and another life. And with every head bowed, I just want to ask if that's you, I just want to ask you to raise your hand because I feel like there's something about stepping out into the light that sets you free. Is there anyone here who wants to make that change? I'm not going to make you stand up. This is not an altar call. You're not going to come to the front. You're not going to have to do anything. But if there's anyone that you feel like you would like to do that, just raise your hand right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, right now we just speak life and blessing over everyone here. Those who raised their hands, Lord God, even those who knew they needed to raise their hands but couldn't do it, Lord God, I want to ask that you would come and just set them free, Lord God. Give them companions and life-giving relationships that will help them walk forward. Help them in every way, Lord God, to be strong in you. And all of God's people said amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand?